welcome to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. In today's episode of our podcast, we are going to continue talking about dreams. We are in the middle of our dream series, but we are also going to talk about prophetic history. I'm very excited to share the information I've learned with you today. And we've been in the middle of talking about dreams. Our whole foundation study is based off of a Hebrew word represented by Strong's H5012, which is Naba. And that's the word translated in King James for prophecy or to prophesy or prophesying. And it basically means to be generally inspired of the Holy Spirit. I know oftentimes we think of prophecy in the form of telling a future prediction or, uh, you know, giving someone a prophetic word. But prophecy really just means supernatural communication with the Lord. And so it's really just that simple. And so we've been talking about dreams. You know, the Lord typically talks to us through our five senses, but dreams are an extension of those five senses because we often see and hear in our dreams. And we're going to base our dream study off of our foundation scripture in Job 33:15 that says in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while they slumber in their beds, the Lord opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. And so God does speak to us in dreams. And I just want to emphasize that point. And I hope that each week as we have different guests on, or as we do a teaching about dreams or a history episode about dreams, that uh, the Lord will begin to speak to you in dreams. I've had people tell me, you know, I don't dream very often. I don't think I have spiritual dreams. Well, sometimes maybe you have not because you ask not. And so pray about that and ask the Lord to speak to you in dreams. It's a powerful way. We see so many examples throughout our Bible. You know, Joseph is the the dreamer in the Bible. And so uh, we see that his whole life was laid out through a prophetic dream. And we know that by extension, it's a story of all of Israel. And by an even further extension, we could say for the church. And so his his dream had um, just, you know, far-reaching interpretation beyond what we could even think of. But today I want to talk about a different dream. I want to tie this in with prophetic history. I love these episodes. I get a ton of feedback about these, and people seem to really enjoy them. But before I get into my story, I want to share this. So I grew up in church. I've been in church uh, all my life, and I remember uh, as a as really in the uh, early 90s as a teenager that uh, our pastor and we were in a very large, uh, one of the first mega churches in the southeast, a really large church, and our pastor uh, came to the congregation and had this new program that we were going to launch, and that uh, we would. Uh, no longer do as many traditional Sunday school classes, but that we were going to begin to incorporate small groups into our church. And I remember it was met with uh, some people didn't know what to think. Other people were really excited. Uh, my Later, uh, my family or, you know, my husband and I hosted a small group in our house. And, and so small groups, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a good thing. Uh, they've sort of replaced traditional Sunday school. And uh, there's, I would say I'm one of these people that I think there's 
pluses and minuses to anything you do. And so uh, they've been overall, I think, a good thing. And so small groups have sort of just become a part of, of how we do church. Uh, all over the world that, um, you know, not every uh, church has the, the facilities to have, you know, Sunday schools or traditional Sunday schools. And uh, as our culture has shifted and changed, you know, most families, both parents work now. And uh, the, for safety reasons and culture reasons, most of our uh, kids go to school longer and then their sports and things are typically scheduled. And so we just live in a different culture. I know when I was a small child, child I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, you would have a fellowship dinner before church. And, you know, you would do traditional Sunday school on Sunday mornings before service. Everyone would kind of break up into their age groups and go to their Sunday school class. And then on Wednesday nights, we would have programs, you know, like uh, uh, RAs, you know, Royal Ambassadors, and and so, uh, and then later another church we went to, we had uh, what was called um, the the uh, Royal Rangers for the boys, and then you know the girls had missionettes, and and so we had these kind of programs, and it was pretty much the formula for many many years of how how church was done, and so small groups sort of shifted everything, and. Uh, I know that at my local church, we have small groups, and some of them are, are very biblically based. Some of them are more life application based. I know that, like, for example, a lot of churches and their small groups will do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace Program, which is a fantastic program. And then you have some that are more relationship based and, and you know, all of those things. So small groups have really reshaped in our modern culture the way we do church and so I had to go into this prophetic history story and it really ties into dreams and so I'm so excited to bring this to you today let's go back to 1936 and we're going to go to South Korea Korea has been in the news a lot lately and so uh, you know that Korea was divided into the north and the south really as a product of uh, World War II and sort of at the at the center of the Cold War especially right after World War II my grandfather actually fought in the Korean War he also fought in World War II in the Navy and so um, I have you know a connection through him in a personal way to uh, to the Koreas, and so um, Korea was uh, was at the center of the Cold War. And so, in 1936, in South Korea, there was a man born into a family, uh, and his name was David Yonggi Cho. All right, and so his family was Buddhist. And they were in Korea, and we see that, uh, and just to give you a little back history, so let's go back to Korea, and let me just set the backdrop with a little bit of history, because I do think it's important, that up until World War II, the Koreas had been, or, or we'll just say Korea at this point, had been dominated by Japan. In fact, when Japan enters World War II, they will conscript Korean soldiers uh, by force to join the Japanese army and to fight, oftentimes putting them on the front lines, of course. And so uh, there was there was a contentious relationship between Japan and the Koreas, with Japan being the dominant uh, aggressive force. And then as World War II came, we see that this was an opportunity 
for Korean independence. And we see that in the south of Korea, they have aligned themselves with the Allies. And in the north, uh, the Soviets move in and back Kim Il-sung, who is, uh, we know today that um, that fa- the Kims have ruled Korea as uh, communist-backed uh, you know, dictators ever since. And so in, uh, th- with the end of World War II, we see that finally in 1953 that the armistice is agreed. There becomes the DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone, and then the line of demarcation drawn across what's called the 38th parallel because that's where it falls on the latitude and longitude. And so we see that that divides the north and the south. And this sort of sets the stage and is sort of the epicenter of the Cold War. You know, this was basically a proxy war between uh, the, the communists and those who supported democracy. And so we see that this is a hotbed of contention at this time in the world. And I just wanted to set that scene because in 1953, Dr. David Yonggi Cho was 17 years old. So he's a teen around this time, you know, doesn't know what's going to happen. His uh, his father had been pulled into World War II and was caught up in the, the these endless wars. And so it had left Seoul, Korea, uh, just devastated. There was a lot of slums in the area. There was, no, you know, agriculture had been obliterated. So the economy is very depressed and uh, the people have been oppressed. And so it's a bad situation. Well, during this time, uh, David Yonggi Cho becomes really sick with tuberculosis. Uh, he's a teenager and uh, he actually ends up having a punctured lung as a result. Now, let me explain, too, that during this time, and especially in what that time was a third world country, that tuberculosis oftentimes was a death sentence. Uh, you know, you would have a lingering cough, uh, which would leave you very susceptible to infection, to viruses, uh, you know, to other kinds of, uh, you know, even allergies and sickness. And then, um, you know, oftentimes you would not recover. And so it was it was a very serious disease. Well, David Yonggi Cho was Buddhist. He was raised Buddhist. The country there is predominantly Buddhist. And so he would pray to Buddha for his, uh, for his healing and just not get an answer. Well, during this time, his sister had a friend who was a Christian. And this young girl would come and visit uh, him while he was sick in the hospital, and she would begin to talk to him about Jesus. Well, during this time, uh, David Yonggi Cho began to pray, and he began to pray to the Lord that, you know, that the hospitals can't help him, that he has prayed to Buddha, and Buddha can't help him, and, you know, uh, would this Jesus help him? And so he began to pray for healing. Well, one night, as he was in the hospital, sick and dying with tuberculosis, after hearing about Jesus, David Yonggi Cho went to sleep as a 17-year-old, and he had a dream about Jesus. Let me read this to you. He said that Jesus came into his room one night, dressed in a long white robe with a long beard, and he revealed himself to, to, to David Yonggi Cho as Jesus the Christ. And he said, if you trust me and turn your life over to me, not only will I heal you, 
but I will manifest my glory in you, not only in Korea, but throughout the world. He said he woke up and he knew that it was, uh, he said the dream is as if it was reality. And he said he woke up and he told his parents about it and his parents were very upset and they began to cry and be distraught because they thought he was having hallucinations and that he was at death's doorstep and that he would be dying soon. But instead, he actually uh, began to recover. In fact, so much so that he was cleared to, to be drafted into the Korean military. And so he recovered. And uh, up until that point, he had wanted to become a doctor, but he said God put a call on his life, and he knew that because of this dream, he was going to go into ministry. And so he answered the call, and he enrolled in a theological seminary. It was the sole full gospel theological seminary, and it was operated by the Assemblies of God. And so he learned about the Bible. He learned how to study the Bible. He, uh, he really uh, embraced this new calling in his life, and he knew that God had called him to preach. And so he went to a hillside that was sort of well-known in Seoul, Korea, where it was just the most uh, poor, poorest of the people in the town. And he said he set up a tent, and he had uh, a tent church. And he was praying about his church, and uh, he said that uh, he had a vision. He had a vision from the Lord. His church had around 300 people at this time. It was very, you know, it was it was large, but relatively large. And uh, he said that he had a vision from the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't have any money. He said, I just have this tent, but I know that, uh, that you're going to use me. And he said, the Lord... Uh, told him in this vision to preach as though he were preaching to a large crowd, crowd a crowd of tens of thousands. And uh, he said the Lord also told him because he didn't have any facilities, you know, he didn't have any, anywhere to, to have classrooms or whatever, that he gave him the vision and the plan for doing cell group ministry. And so he just said that the Lord just sort of coached him through everything that he was supposed to do. And so he said that he would begin to to preach as though he were preaching to tens of thousands. And he began to uh, make a plan and, and formulate these cell groups. And, uh, you know, all of this happened in 1958. And so his, uh, his little tent church of 300 people, it began to grow as a result. And so, uh, and, and, and it was called the uh, Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. In fact, it grew so much from 1958 until 1973 that in 1973, they built a sanctuary in, uh, on Yoido Island. And uh, by uh, 1981, his church membership had grown to 200,000 people. Now, a lot of this was through their cell group ministry because not everyone could come into the sanctuary. And that was, uh, that was sort of uh, what was happened by design. And then we see by the year 2000, he had claimed uh, that the church had a million members. In fact, it has gone down in history as the largest church in the world. And so we see that uh, 
that God having, you know, him having this dream, this dream that shaped his destiny, not only shaped his whole life and brought healing to him, changed the course of his life, but, but God used him in such a powerful way. And, you know, and it, and it had a, an effect into my life, you know, and I'm sure into your life. Most churches now have, you know, cell group ministry or home-based church, you know, some form of home groups or cell groups, uh, because, um, you know, the important thing is, is that we have the opportunity to come together and to learn about the Lord. And, and it really was just a, an out-of-the-box new way to do, you know, what we call traditional Sunday school. And so Dr. Cho has an important place in Christian history, especially in the in the church cultural history. And all of that started with a dream, with a visitation from the Lord to him in a dream. And then he had that second dream that sort of gave him the vision for how to do his ministry. And so I'm going to sort of springboard off of that and tell you that uh, the Lord uses dreams oftentimes are visions to shape and guide our personal ministry. I believe everyone should have a personal ministry. You know, like I said, if, if you uh, cut grass, that can be your ministry. If you, um, if you bake cakes, that can be your ministry. You can teach a small group. Most churches have, you know, where you can sign up or take a course and then you sign up and do a small group. You know, maybe maybe you have a gift of teaching and you can lead a small or hospitality and you can lead a small group. You know, if we all do our part, we are the hands and the feet. We are his body. God chooses to work through people. And so, but we have to be willing participants. Your pastor can't, uh, you know, minister on a personal level to every single person. You know, he maybe can't always go and visit everyone in the hospital, but you can, (laughs) you can do, you know, you can, you can reach those in your sphere, those who are your neighbors, those who are in your family, those who you're in a small group with, you know, whatever, uh, wherever the Lord has placed you. And so I would just challenge you to think outside the box, to ask the Lord to give you a plan. You know, I can tell you that um, when I had my son and we came from the home from the hospital and there was so much to do and it was in the summertime and my neighbor cut my grass for me. He didn't ask us. He didn't do it for recognition. He didn't call and schedule it with the church. He just did it. And, um, and so I didn't know for days who had cut my grass. And uh, later his wife mentioned it to me. And I was so appreciative, and it meant so much. And that was an act of service, and that was a good work. And works have their place. We're not saved by work. We're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But works do have their place, and that was such a good work, and it blessed us, and it meant a lot to us. And so don't underestimate the power of dreams and visions. You know, uh, Dr. Cho had this dream, and as a result of that, his influence on churches all over the world, you know, came as a result of that. And it's been a largely positive change. You know, small groups are able to to do things that Sunday school classes just can't do. And I, I want to say, too, that I am a big believer in Sunday school. I love Sunday school. Um, there, are, there are, like I said, pros and cons to everything. And as much as I love small groups, I also really love traditional Sunday school because I learned so much 
um, even with those, you know, they had the little the little board and you would have the little pictures, the little cut out pictures and they would stick to the board with Jesus and the disciples. And I still, when I think of some of the Bible stories, I visualize those little, uh, you know, they would kind of be like, uh, they would just sort of stick on on the board, the felt board. And you would see, uh, you know, that maybe when we went through the miracles, you would see little illustrations of those. And I sometimes still visualize those little cutouts. Uh, you know, at our church, we used Gospel Publishing House, and I just sort of see those still in my mind. They're still very powerful to me. So, so that, you know, one isn't better than the other. They're just different, and they, and they can reach different groups of people. And so um, we just have to be open to let the Lord use us and to hear and see what the Lord is saying to us through dreams and visions. And who knows, the dream or vision that God gives to you might have the kind of reach that Dr. Cho's vision had. How amazing would that be? Never underestimate the power of the prophetic. Well, I hope this blesses you this week. I'm excited about some of the things I have lined up ahead of us. I've got a few more people I want to talk to about dreams and visions, and uh, we're going to do some uh, a couple of specials in between that I've got lined up, and I'm super excited about that. And so I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, and that He open your eyes and your ears to hear from Him as you go about this week. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.